I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, I have shared with you before that uh, growing up, I was taught by some and and had this impression of God that he will only use a person if he or she is obedient to him. But as I continued to study the scriptures and, of course, observe his work throughout biblical history and Christian history, I learned that that's not true. God is at work in people and through circumstances both good and bad for his purposes and for his glory. Now, while those set against God in sin will be punished by him, that does not mean he cannot or will not use those people. He does not allow for the wicked just to roam free. While he allows for certain things to happen, bad things, he doesn't allow it to happen outside of his sovereign plan, right? He works and uses that, he allows for that, works in and through that to accomplish his purposes. It's very important for you to understand that or the book of Judges won't make sense to you at all, okay? We See him work in this way in Samson's story. Samson's story won't make sense to you unless you understand that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 14. In this section of the book of Judges, we learn that God's people are having a hard time spiritually. And that's that's putting it lightly, right? They had drifted from God. They were bowing to other idols the idols of the wicked nation surrounding them. And so God punishes them by giving them over to their enemies, the Philistines, for 40 years. And after that time, God graciously chooses to reach out to them again, even though they were not looking to or trusting in him to do so. The angel of the Lord appears to a a couple and, and he promises them a child. Now, she was barren, so this is a a miraculous conception there. They're going to have a son. And he tells Manoah and his wife that this son will begin to deliver your people from the Philistines. Now, that's an important message right there, right? That's the main message the angel gives, but it's the one message that the wife fails to tell Manoah. She doesn't tell him that, and so they're sort of clueless over their son's mission and 
he appears to be clueless as well. Samson lives as if he's just oblivious to this calling upon his life. I told you I was going to ruin the story of Samson for you this morning. Actually, Scripture is, okay? But we're going to look at it today and we're going to, we're going to see this. Samson will really fail to see himself as his people's God-given deliverer, which explains why he does what he does in this narrative. Yet we're going to learn in our text this morning and in the ones to come that God's going to work, even though he does what he does. Samson has been clearly commissioned by God. He is under this Nazarite vow, yet his life is anything but separated from the godless and set apart for the Lord. Yet God still uses him for his redemptive purposes. While Samson is to blame for his disobedience, God is to be praised for his faithfulness. This story shows us that God is at work in the darkest and most difficult of times, sometimes through deeply flawed people to accomplish his purposes. Aren't you thankful for that? I know that I am because that's my story. And that's yours as well, right? We will look today at Samson's failures. I want you to see that while Samson was flawed, God is faithful. He is at work in this dark and difficult situation through this deeply flawed judge. And my hope and prayer for you today is that you would see God's faithful work through his wayward people, and through his broken Savior, and you would take comfort today knowing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. He is at work in this way today. Amen? And I pray that, that you begin to see this if you haven't already. And those of you all that know it, you would be encouraged by this truth today. I want to begin this sermon by studying Samson's flaws. Then I want to end on a, on a bright note by looking at God's faithfulness, okay? But first, Samson's flaws. Number one, Samson was reckless. Samson was reckless. Read with me, Judges 14, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of God. Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among your, uh, our people that, that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They're trying to help him here, right? Think about this for a moment. Who is Samson? Samson is God's people's deliverer, right? His, his appointed Savior. What was the mission Samson was called to do? He was called to begin to deliver his people from the Philistines, right? We see here either Samson's indifference toward or complete ignorance of his calling here. Because of all people, who does he seek to marry? A Philistine woman. God was raising him up to destroy the Philistines, and Samson seeks to align with them in the most intimate way a person can through marriage. Believe it or not, it is his parents who show some concern. 
We were hard on them last week, but here they have a bright spot, even though they had their issues. They know their son's request is not a good one. They suggested he find a woman amongst his own people, God's chosen people within his covenant community. God is very clear in the Old Testament that he wanted his people to marry from within. They were not to have foreign wives. And this was not because of race. This was because of religion. We've said before that God's issue, it's not a racial one, it's a spiritual one. Samson's parents are trying to lead him in making the right decisions and he shows a total disregard for what God is saying, a complete disrespect toward his parents. He orders them to get him a wife from his enemies and when they question on this, question him on this, he, he just dismisses them, doesn't he? In our day, unfortunately, it's, it's common for a child to talk back to his parents and be very disrespectful toward uh, his or her father and mother, not in ancient Israel. Arthur Kundal said this in his commentary on Judges. In Israelite society, the father was the head of the family and as such exercised control, including the choice of wives for sons. This was an extremely rebellious act by Samson. God told his people not to marry with foreigners because they worship false gods. God knew who you marry matters spiritually. There's a good application right there, right? God knew that, that foreign wives would lead his leaders astray, which is why he forbid it. Samson learns this lesson the hard way. His parents try and prevent this, but Samson isn't having it, and he's going to suffer the consequences later. What's his reasoning for his act of defiance? Well, he tells us, verse 3, But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Looks good to me. Unfortunately, we see here, instead of being holy, and set apart for God, Samson more closely resembled the wicked Israelites he was sent to save. We are told of them at the end of this book. In those days, in the period of the judges, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They lived for the now. Sound familiar? They pursued pleasure. They served the kingdom of self. That's the way Samson lived. Timothy Keller says, Samson is a leader who reflects Israel's real spiritual state rather than God's ideal for his people. He was reckless, impulsive, did not care what God said on the matter. He was only concerned with Samson. Samson was about Samson. He was about acting upon his emotions, doing what felt good to him. He lacked self-control. He was not disciplined. He had no restraint. He was led by his feelings. He felt, therefore he acted. He saw, therefore he took. Sound familiar? There are many in our world today who live their lives in this way. We see it every day. They live by the mantra, if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, what? Can't be that bad. Here's the problem with living your life in this way. To seek pleasure and avoid pain. Many try to do that. The problem is avoiding pain is impossible because the world is broken. 
while you can read the labels and certain articles and medical journals, how many of you can go throughout your entire life and guarantee that you'll never become terminally ill? While you can pay attention to the road, obey the rules on the road, can you always avoid reckless drivers? The world is broken. Therefore, pain is unavoidable. Here's the other thing about earthly pleasures. They do not provide what they promise. They don't deliver on that promise of happiness forever. Worldly pleasures can bring enjoyment, but it's only momentary. It's temporal and fleeting. Only denying your wants, your needs, your desires surrendering your life to the Lord, living the life He created you to live in right relationship with Him brings happiness that lasts. Now the world will tell you, well, you can pursue God, but you got to forfeit happiness. That's a lie. Happiness is found in a right relationship with God, in a life lived for Him. Happiness is found in doing what you were created to do, which is to live your life to the glory of God. That's where true and lasting happiness is found. It won't be had in the things of this world. They're temporary. They're fleeting. Samson failed to see this. He was impulsive, reckless, and ultimately suffered as a result. He was reckless. He was also unreceptive. He was unteachable, unwilling to listen. Next point. Samson was unwilling to listen. You ever tried to reason with a know-it-all? Ever had somebody try to reason with you? Maybe I need to rephrase that. It's an exercise in futility, isn't it? Samson had the answers for himself and does not care what his authorities, God or his parents, have to say on the matter. You know what the Bible says about those who refuse correction and reject wise counsel? The Bible calls that foolish. Proverbs 12.1. Pretty, pretty, I mean, it just states it directly. He who hates reproof is stupid. What it says. I've encountered many like that in ministry. They refuse to listen to biblical counsel. They do what's right in their own eyes, and it never goes well for them. While Samson is strong, while he's significant, we also learn, according to Proverbs 12, 1, he's stupid. That's biblical. What you learn when you study the book of Proverbs is, I'm not wise, and I need God's wisdom. If you don't come away with that after reading Proverbs, you're not reading it right. That's why we need Proverbs. Because we need wisdom, right? Samson needed it. Once again, he's more like God's people Israel in this way. God had sent judges to save them from their enemies and restore them to himself. And they responded by going their own way and serving their own gods, doing what is right in their own eyes. How is your life being lived today? Do you belong to God? Are you a citizen of God's kingdom? 
through Christ? Are you living your life in service to the King of God's kingdom, King Jesus, or are you living to serve the tiny kingdom of self? Are you wise by God's standards, or are you allowing yourself to be instructed and, and, and corrected by godly counsel, or are you listening to what you think is best, making decisions based upon the way you see it and what feels right? Are you refusing godly counsel because you're live, living to fulfill your wants and your needs and your desires? If this is you, I pray you learn some lessons here from Samson's mistakes. Samson is reckless. He's unteachable, unwilling to listen. He's also just downright disobedient. That's the next point. Samson is downright disobedient. Skip verse 4 for a minute. We'll come back to that. Look at verse 5. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. It, then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. There you have it again. Now, some of you who read this this past week, or maybe just now, you think you might be thinking to yourself, this seems like a strange story to put here, right? I mean, it just seems sort of random. You might be puzzled by why it's here, but there are details here that are important for us to know to better understand Samson and the times in which he lived and to understand God's work in and through him, okay? Where is Samson going in this story? He's on his way to Timnah to take a Philistine woman to be his wife. He is associating with the enemy in the most intimate of ways through marriage. We have said already, Samson's actions here, they accurately reflect the actions of other Israelites around him. God's people Israel and the Philistine people at this time, they were closely associated with one another. And what God wants is a separation between the two. And he's going to use Samson to do it, as flawed as Samson is. And even though his, his reasons for doing what he does are all messed up, God is going to work in and through that to accomplish his purposes. Okay, While traveling to Timnah for Samson to acquire this wife by his enemies, he's attacked by a young lion. Sounds like a bad situation, right? Though the lion is young, still a lot stronger than any man but we're told here the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson and he tears the lion to pieces. Now, those of you who grew up hearing that the strength of Samson is in his hair, think again, okay? That's a part of the vow, right? But the strength in Samson is the Spirit of God. You see that? Working in and through him. God is at work through this flawed vessel for his purposes. While he is disobediently pursuing this foreign woman for marriage while he is foolishly aligning himself with God's enemies. God is not through Samson. He graciously delivers him. We'll explain more of the reason why here in a moment. But does this act of, of God saving Samson change Samson? Say no. Look what happens next. Verses 8 and 9. After some days he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. 
And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave them some, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. Samson was a Nazarite from the womb. Talked about that last time. Nazir means to, to vow, to be set apart. He was set apart for God from, from before his birth, right? And... He was chosen by God to be uniquely separated from him, from, from those around him, and set apart for God from his birth and for, throughout his entire life. And he had many rules placed upon him. And one of those rules was not cut his hair right, but another one was no, no fruit from the vine, but also no contact with the dead. No contact with the dead. See, the problem with Samson was that he was just like those he was called to be set apart from. Why does he violate all these vows? Why are, we, why are we giving those accounts there? Because we're seeing the heart of this man. He doesn't really want to be set apart for God. He wants to be like those around him. That's what God wants. That's what Samson wants. We, we see that here. Many rules placed upon him and he breaks many of those. That's the way Samson lived his life. That's the way many of us live our lives as well. He was disobedient. He was also deceitful. Samson was deceitful. He doesn't tell his parents or anyone about him killing this lion and where the honey came from, and he's going to use this event to his advantage. Look with me at verses 10 through 14. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. Now we can solve it, right? Because we know what just happened, but of course they couldn't, right? This is not a common occurrence. That has taken place. I read where some commentators believe that, that that was placed there supernaturally by God to test Samson because normally maggots are found in a fresh dead carcass, not honey and, and bees, right? But he, he failed that test, but he, he, he uses this here to his, to his advantage. He gave them a riddle about this event that they could not solve. Samson is cheating at poker here. He's played a hand he doesn't think he can lose. But what he's failed to realize here is that he's up against the champ when it comes to deception. This is a nation of deceivers. Even though they don't know the answer, they're not going to be bested by this Jewish man, Samson. They will use Samson's wife to entice him to spill the beans. Let's look at it, verse 15. 
On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. That's the kind of people that Samson is dealing with. Shouldn't have been dealing with them at all. He has aligned himself with this wicked, violent, deceitful, evil nation. They asked this woman, Have you invited us here to impoverish us? They're not going to let that happen with Samson, verse 16. And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and I shall tell you. She wept before him for seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. He told her what it was, right? Now remember that detail. That'll come up later. That is a character flaw, another character flaw in Samson. He's easily enticed by women. Next point, Samson was enticeable. It's another flaw. He doesn't stick to his guns. He doesn't keep his word. He lacks that that divine characteristic. He, He does not remain steadfast. He breaks under pressure. He gives in not to be bothered, and that gets him in a world of trouble. One of the reasons why is because of who they are. Samson, again, he's aligned himself with a wicked people. He is with people who who push him for information to hurt him, right? Listen, if you have those types of people in your life, it's time to find a new community of friends. While they need ministry, they do not need personal information from you to take from you and swindle you, right? You give that corrupt business person the gospel, not your credit card. You with me? Samson has aligned himself with the wrong people. And he has allowed for himself to be enticed by them and he will suffer as a result. His wife hounded him for the answer and he told her and she shared it with her people and they cheated him. Look at verse 17. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? That's the answer. Honey and a lion. And Samson, of course, immediately knew what had happened. His wife had told. And he he knew it, right? There's no other way they would know other than that. He was deceived, trying to deceive them. And he has harsh words to say about his wife and them. He said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Samson was foolish for trying to align and and deceive such a deceitful people. They were foolish, however, in angering a man like Samson. Let's keep reading. Not only was Samson blessed with strength by God, but he had the temper of a child. Next point, Samson was volatile. He was volatile. While volatile people can be trouble, powerful people who are volatile can be dangerous. That's Samson. Look at verses 19 and 20. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, that's another group of Philistines, and struck down 30 men of the town, and took their spoil and gave the garments to those 
who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Verse 20, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. He's having lots of problems paying for his actions. We have already learned that Samson cannot control his senses. When he sees something he likes, he has to have it, right or wrong. He takes it. We also see here he cannot control his temper. He kills 30 Philistines in anger, but not the Philistines who wronged him. Do you see that? Notice what we have here. Samson tries to cheat the Philistines at Timnah, and they cheat him. So he loses it, and he goes to the Philistines in Ashkelon and kills them and takes their expensive garments, and he goes goes to pay this debt that he owes to the Philistines at Timnah. If you think that sounds wrong, you're right, okay? All of that is wrong. The question we need to ask is, why then was Samson empowered by the Spirit of God to do this? It's very important that you get this. That's a good question. It's important for you to understand that while Samson is wrong, what God does through Samson is right. You with me? Samson had the wrong motives. God has the right motives. Samson had the wrong reason to go and do what he did, but God was in the right for doing it. The Philistines deserve to be punished by God for their opposition to God and for their treatment of his people. While Samson kills them, not out of a love for God, but because they deceived him, trying to deceive them, God, his his anger and his punishment of the Philistines through Samson is right. Samson's in the wrong for his motives. God's in the right for doing what he does. You with me? But Samson, he's in the wrong. His spirit is vengeful here. He's not righteous, but selfish. Samson then returns home, and his wife is given to another. A friend of Samson's, who commentators believe is also a Philistine from the area. Once again, Samson's friends with the wrong people. He has aligned himself with his enemies. There will be more violence to come to the Philistines and in particular, Samson's wife and father in chapter 15. We'll look at that chapter next week. But to end today, after all of these negatives, I want to leave you with the positive, okay? I want to leave you by focusing in on God's faithful work through this broken Savior. The title of today's message is Samson's Flaws and God's Faithfulness. We will learn... In, in the text to come, but even in this text, we learn that while Samson is reckless and unwilling to listen, while he is disobedient and deceitful and enticeable and, and volatile, God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, you're probably thinking, where do you see that? It's in the verse we skipped. Go back up to verse 4. Let me begin reading in verse 2, but I want to show you, really, really focus in on verse 4. Beginning in verse 2, we're told, Then Samson came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives? 
or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. Verse 4, this is key. His father and mother did not know, and I would include Samson there as well, did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. So here the author of Judges is saying here, in hindsight with this verse, what God's going to do, okay? He wants separation between his people and the Philistines. Samson seeks to align with them, but Samson, in him wickedly trying to align with them, God's going to bring about a separation through that alignment. You with me? Kind of blows our minds sometimes the way in which God works. But he's telling us, while Samson is doing a wicked thing in wanting to marry a Philistine, God will accomplish this work of saving his people through Samson's disobedience. And some of you ask, can he do that? Of course he can. He does it all throughout Scripture. Think Adam. Think Joseph's brothers. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers? You didn't send me here. Well, I thought they did, deceitfully. He said, ultimately, God sent me here to bring it about as it is today, to save these people. It was God working providentially. Now, did that get Joseph's brothers off the hook? No. They did a wicked thing, but God allowed for it and worked in and through it to bring about salvation from his people. How about Judas Iscariot? Did he do a great thing? No. But what came about through Ju Judas's deceit? Christ went to Calvary. He does this type of work all the time, right? Samson's story has always been puzzling to me and, until I really started to study it. When I read Samson's story at first, it, it, it doesn't seem as if he, he has a clue. And I, I don't believe he does, really. He'll call on God a few times, and we'll look at that, but it's more self-serving is the reason he's doing it. Doesn't seem like he cares that he's, he's openly and blatantly disobeying God. For most of Samson's life, he seems to be doing what he wants, living as he feels with little regard for God or anyone else, yet he is the Savior of God's people. But all the decisions that he makes... He seems to make to benefit himself, yet you have the Spirit of God rushing upon him, doing incredible things, even though he disobeys left and right. How do we make sense of God using Samson in this way while he continues to live his life apart from and opposed to him? Simple. We learn from Samson in the darkest hour of God's people's existence, one of the darkest times ever, when there seems to be no one faithful, there is one faithful, and that is God. That's what we see. God is still accomplishing what he promised. Even when there seems to be so few faithful today, listen, God is still at work accomplishing what he promised. He works through the faithful and the faithless, through the righteous and the wicked to accomplish his kingdom purposes. While Samson will finally get it together in the end, at first there seems to be nothing desirable, desirable about him, yet God is still working through Samson's weakness. 
working to accomplish his purposes. He does that in Samson's story. He does that throughout the story of redemption. I mentioned Adam earlier. Think about Adam. Because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, sin entered into the world, right? Through Adam's family, through that union, comes the fall. Yet also, through that family, comes redemption. Comes salvation. Comes Jesus, right? Through Adam's family, Jesus enters in to this broken world to redeem this broken world. God brought redemption to mankind through the family that brought about the fall of mankind. Awesome. In the fullness of time, God the Son became a man. He was, according to Luke, the Son of Adam, Son of God. Truly God, truly man, lived the life Adam failed to live a perfect life without sin. He was betrayed by his own, right? By Judas, scorned by the ones he came to save. Yet through that betrayal and rejection, Christ went to Calvary and he died as our perfect substitute and sacrifice to save us from sin and death. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that we could be forgiven of sin and made righteous he rose again conquered death with his death and resurrection so that we might live the question i want to leave you with today is this have you given your life up and over to the one who gave it all for us have you forsaken your sin have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, while God works in and through the the difficulties of this world and the difficult people in this world for you to benefit from the saving work of Jesus Christ, you must repent of your sin and you must give your life up and over to Christ. If you have not, this is your invitation today. Turn from your sin. Bow the knee to Christ today and be saved. Let's pray together.